this morning, everyone. Oh, man, it's like, it's all been happening. Thank you. Uh, title of my message this morning is God's Secret Weapon for Battle-Weary Dreamers. Any dreamers in the house, give us a wave right here. Come on. Some of you have been dreaming for years and you haven't seen the dream materialize. Hey, this word is for you. And uh, it'll bless you. Some of you who know me know that I'm an expert in most subjects concerning the study of animal, bird, and fish behavior within nature. Some of you know that and I don't boast about it because I just want to try and walk humbly before you. But my book on the mating habits of Welsh badgers and the tunneling strategy of bohemian moles is now a very, very good bestseller among the West Wales Young Farmer Society. I don't sort of blow that up, but in my study, uh, I'm particularly fascinated with the journey of the Canadian salmon. No, that wasn't a joke. It's just serious now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Canadian salmon, some of you who watch the Discovery programs, right? You know, they, they always show, there's always one documentary on the Canadian salmon, the migration habits of the Canadian salmon. It's a, it's a mystery to scientists and biologists. They, they just can't understand it. And after years in the open waters of the ocean, the Canadian salmon embarks on a once-in-a-lifetime journey. Against all the odds, they negotiate their way from the ocean back to the very river that thrust them into the ocean when they were a young fish. And they, they'll swim up that river they will swim up that river and, and, and such is the force of the tide against them as they swim up. When they reach the place of their very birth, the very place they were born, they swim to die. And when you look at the fish, the fish that make it, the fish that get there, the fish that finish their destiny, their face is disfigured. Their bodies are marked. You can tell, here's a fish. Here's a fish that, that, has, that has all hell thrown against them as they've swum against the tide. And do you know why they do it? Because they're carrying something for the next generation. They're full of eggs. And they swim up those against those torrents and they get to the place battered and bruised and disfigured and tired. <coughs> and they lay their eggs and they die. Fantastic. I mean, you know, how many of you know that God inspires us through stories in nature? Very often, he says, look at the sparrows. When we worry about God providing, he says, nah, man, look at the sparrows. You know, when we get a bit complacent, he says, study the ant. 
And I believe this picture of this salmon swimming against, and you know, the success of the salmon's long, treacherous journey is crucial because they're carrying eggs to be laid to perpetuate the next generation. They swim full of eggs. Folks, as Christians, we are designed to swim full of eggs. Dreams. Vision. Not only for this generation, but for the next generation. Selfish Christianity is an anathema. We don't live for ourselves. We live for God and for other people. Can I hear an amen here? And so, with that mentality and with that attitude, listen, we have to sometimes swim against the tide. And some of you, man, this is going to answer some questions because some of you are saying, why is this so hard? Because you're carrying eggs for the next generation. And you may arrive battered and bruised and betrayed and disappointed and rejected. But thank God you will arrive by the grace and the mercy of God. Somebody better get excited about this thing because I'm getting excited here. They face death through exhaustion. They, they face death through anglers. They face death through eagles. And a particular threat as they come to the end of their journey, as the river narrows and the, the water gets stronger and the waterfalls get more fierce, close to the end of their journey, there's one more threat that probably is the worst. And we've all seen it on the TV. It's the threat of bears. Have you seen them? And, and they're, they're using all their strength. And the bears are just waiting to grab them. And with one swipe, they grab hold of them. And they take one bite and throw them away. I'm thinking, why, why, why are you doing this? Just, you're just not eating the whole salmon. You're just taking one bite. You see, look, the bears are not after the flesh of the salmon. They're after their eggs. Watch this, man. I love this. Because some of you are wondering about, you know, bears are not after their flesh, they're after what they're carrying. Your dreams are eggs. They're like eggs. Your dreams are like eggs for the next generation. They're powerful. They're precious. And they carry the potential to change the course of history. Uh, Dave just told me, uh, his brother John, I don't know if John is in, but he's just come back from Northern Ireland. I was so encouraged. He said, Ray, my brother went over to Northern Ireland and people were asking about you because they remember your visit to Northern Ireland. And I remember going to Newry in 1986, right in the middle of the, of the IRA uh, conflict and they had just bombed, they had just mortar bombed the, the police station there. And I arrived two days later to minister in schools for four days, Catholic schools and Protestant schools. And I held a concert at the end of the week. And, and uh, I had to, the, the hall was packed with a thousand uh, kids. I had to go outside to speak to 300 who couldn't get in. This is right in the middle of a religious war. Come on, somebody say amen. God went, went um, oh, anyway. So, so that night, 500 gave their lives to Jesus that night, Catholic and Protestant. as a church there. 
and, and John said to Dave, uh, he met somebody who was actually saved in that meeting. And I think he's a pastor now. Come on, folks. I want to tell you, you're carrying eggs. I didn't know I was carrying eggs for the next generation in Northern Ireland. I wasn't particularly feeling too good that week. But you don't know. Hold on to your dreams. Nurture your dreams. They're God-given. Man, your dreams will be opposed. They'll be attacked. They'll be threatened. They'll be sabotaged. Unlike the bears, Satan will try to steal them. For those of you battle-weary dreamers who are asking the question, why is life so hard? Why don't I just settle down for being ordinary? Why can't I just be a church attender? Why can't I just be, why, why can't I just live a life of beige? Why is it that there's all this multicolored stuff going on inside me? Why don't I just, you know, I can do without this stuff? Huh. Some of you are there and you're saying, man, why don't I just let others swim upstream? Why, why don't I just let others go against the tide? Why don't I just go with the flow of what's happening? Now, see, dreamers can't do that because you're carrying eggs. Come on, somebody help me in this place right here. You're carrying eggs for the next generation. Uh, you're swimming against the tide of average. Well, for those of you battle-weary dreamers, let me tell you, God has a secret weapon reserved for battle-weary dreamers that against all the odds will keep you swimming until you lay those eggs, until those dreams become a reality. For those of you dreamers here, can I just uh, encourage you, be careful with whom you share your dreams. Learn from Joseph. During the early stages of dreams, they're fragile things. They're fragile. They're, they're like bubbles floating close to jagged rocks on a windy day. That's what your dreams are like when they're in their uh, embryonic form. I stood here 26 years ago, 27 years ago at the back of this hall when it was a roller skating rink. It was a disco roller skating rink. The walls were painted black. There were demons and uh, stuff on the walls. The music was pumping. It was like a hellhole in here. But I stood at the back of that hall and I saw this. And I swam for 26 years. Come on, somebody. Say amen. And do you know what? Do you know what? When I look at Dave and Faye and I look at you, you know what? It's worth every waterfall. It's worth the tide coming against you. It's worth every bear trying to bite the eggs out of you. Come on, it's worth it. Come on, somebody say amen. You got to sweep. You got to keep swimming. Now be careful who you share those dreams with. They can be easily shot down. Oh, man. In my study of uh, the bird world, uh, I came across this story. I don't know if it's a true story, but there was a Canadian goose. I think it could be fiction. And he lived in Canada. He spent most of his time there. And uh, all the birds in the wintertime, they started to fly south from Canada to Florida. 
But this Canadian goose said, no, nah, no, I, I just can't be bothered. Forget his name now. I think it was Sydney or something like that. So Sydney says, I'm staying here. I'm staying, I'm staying in Canada. Well, it come about November time when the weather changed and the snow came and the ice, he said, oh, I've made a bad decision here. So he decided to fly south anyway on his own. So uh, he started flying and, and the snow was hitting him and the ice was weighing on his body and he, 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 he fell down in a field somewhere, in a barn somewhere mid-journey. And as he lay there, freezing, thinking, I should have gone with the other birds. As he's lay there freezing, waiting to die, a cow came into the barn and plopped all over him. A real dump all over him. He was covered with the stuff. And he thought, oh, well, it doesn't rain, does it? It's a pause, doesn't it? Here I am waiting to die, and now I get this dumped on me. But all of a sudden, he realized, hey, the warmth of the... The warmth of the... That started to throw him out. And he thought, my God, hope is being revived. And in the middle of all that stuff, he started singing. And a cat heard him singing. And came in and ate him. This, I thought it was funnier than that, to be honest. With you, but, but the moral of the story is, just shut up. When not everyone who plops on you is an enemy. Come on, somebody say amen. Not everyone who plops on you is an enemy. God can even use the ones who plop on you. But if someone plops on you, just keep your mouth shut. And just keep the dreams to yourself and just thank God. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Just give Jesus a praise in this house right here. No, man, you got to... I'm 67 years of age. And I'm still full of eggs. Dreams. I want to see realized. Some of you that are over 60... I'm thinking, oh, it's EastEnders and feet up. Give me a break. See, when you're over 60, man, that's not the time to retire. That's the time to refire. All the invested stuff. All that stuff that God's invested in us. Man, I, you know, let me just say this, right? So, so I'm sitting there like Saturday after Saturday watching The Voice. I love The Voice. The program, because I came out of the entertainment world. So I'm thinking there, oh, it'd be great to have a go at that. I said, nah, I'm a pastor, I'm a reverend, can't go there. <laughs> so anyway, so when, when I handed the church over and, and I'm traveling now, and uh, I, just, I just felt, so, so Haley, my PA, right, she said, why don't you send it, have a go? I said, no, I'm a, have a go, so okay. So I, I filled in the application form, and you've got to sing on an iPhone for like a 30 seconds, send it in. Well, they contacted me within four days, and they invited me down to an audition in Cardiff for The Voice, right? So I said, oh, yeah, okay, let's go along for the laugh. So I go down to the Merca Hotel in Cardiff 10 days ago, and uh, I turned up with 600 people there. <laughs> Have a guess who's the oldest? I thought, 
this is brilliant. And they're all there, 16, 17 year olds, all nervous, ah, practicing in the corner. And I, I had a bit of a chest cold, and I, so I'm just going around and say, who are you then? Oh, where are you from? And all this, right? So then, uh, so then out of the 600, they split you down into groups of 15. So they put me, you know, I'm like, so they put me with uh, these kids, 15 of them, uh, 14 and me, and we go into this room, right? We're in this room, and uh, there's, a, there's a, a TV producer there and a voice coach there, and you're sitting in a circle, they introduce themselves, and then, uh, and then they say, that one by one, we want you to stand up and sing for a minute. Um, you know, a cappella. Yeah, fine. So one by one, and they, and, uh, they call me Raymond. I love it, Raymond. Because I put my name, Raymond Bevan. Only my mother calls me Raymond. Raymond. So, Raymond, so I get up, I sing. What do I, what do I say? Start summertime And the living is easy Fish are jumping And the cotton is high Your dad is rich, yeah And your mama's good looking I sang that, right? I sang that. I just did like. So I sang that. Wow, this moment, yeah. So anyway, so I sang that. <laughs> I'm gonna rise up singing. <laughs> I'm gonna spread my wings. <laughs> and fly to the sky. One nothing mornings, yeah. I'm gonna ride up singing. If you've recorded me, it's copyright. Oh, with my mommy and daddy standing by, yeah. So I, so I just sang, I sang that. I just sang that. I, so I sang that, and, uh, and uh, so then there was 15 of us, so we all had to do the thing. And so I sang that, and they said, please could you outside? So I went outside with the 15, and then they called you back in, and they said, five of you are going through. And they said, so John, Susan, Raymond. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I wasn't expecting it. Raymond. So I'm going through the next, the next round was another audition on the same day, and you go into a room now with three people, Okay. Uh, there's a record producer from Polydor. There's a, a TV executive from the show. And there's a voice coach. So I sang Have a Little Faith in Me. You've got to sing with a track. And they, and they video you. And so, so I sing with a track, Have a Little Faith in Me. May, I may, if I got time, may sing it again at the end so you can buy my CD. Because <laughs> all the money goes to poor, peop, poor children, starving children. Mine. So, so you, can, you can get that. I see if I've got time. So, so I sing that and then uh, did some stuff. And then, uh, and so I passed that audition as well. And they said, uh, they said, uh, Raymond, we now want you to go and speak to a researcher. 
See, so they're whittling down the 600 now to about 90. I'm in the 90 now. So, so I go down to speak to this researcher, two young girls. So they said, Raymond. Well, not, they were like, they weren't Welsh. I said, Raymond, yes, yeah, nice to see you. T tell us a bit about your life. I said, listen, love. I've done everything but fight in the Second World War. That's what I've done everything. <laughs> Do you know what? I sat there. I sat there. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this for a reason. Don't stop dreaming. However crazy it sounds. There's eggs in there. And so, so, so they said, so, so I give all this. You know, I really hammed up the, the days when I was with Decca Records. I said, you know... We were, we were DECA recording artists. They, they, they accepted us but rejected the Beatles. Really? Oh, yes. I said the Beatles did a little bit better than we did, but who cares? You know what I'm saying? So, so we did all that. And, uh, and, uh, and they said, well, how did your brother and you split up? So I just told them about how I got saved, folks. I just told them how Jesus saved me and the whole thing and in a very contemporary way and stuff. So... So listen, so to, to, to let you know, pray for me, because, because from that one, um, they will invite you to another audition in London, and if I pass that audition, um, you get on the live shows, where you can vote for me and stuff, right? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I don't know if I only get this far. Well, what a rush that was. If I just gave, was able to give my testimony to two young girls in the entertainment world. Come on, somebody. It makes, just go with the flow, man. Just go with the flow of it. Let's run with it. It'd be great to get on the live shows. I don't know who the judges are. I think they're approaching Paul McCartney. Uh, they're approaching... Uh, they've got to get Tom back on the, on the show. And they've got uh, Tom and, uh, and Phil Collins and a couple of others. I don't know where this will lead, but one thing I do know, you don't shut up and retire and put your feet down and stop dreaming and stop trying. Come on, somebody give Jesus some praise in this house, right? No, you don't. You don't. You see, Paul, the, is this helping anybody here? You see, Paul the apostle had a dream to change the world through the gospel, but Satan hated the eggs he was carrying. Paul couldn't understand why the birthing of that dream was so difficult until he discovered God's secret weapon for battle-weary dreamers. You see, hey, listen, to see the real love of God in you, surrounded by hate, to see the real love of God work in our lives, give it some rejection. To see real peace. To see the real peace. The world is looking for real peace. God doesn't wrap his people up in cotton wool. He wants to demonstrate to a lonely, searching, broken-hearted world. That those of us who serve Jesus also get lonely, broken-hearted, rejected. But the reaction is different because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We've got eggs. Now to see real peace, give it a storm. To see a real call of God. 
Give it a Pharaoh to oppose it. And to discover God's secret weapon, get to a place where you want to give up. I wish that wasn't the case in the kingdom of God, but God does things, it seems, upside down. If you want to experience God's secret weapon to keep you swimming until those eggs are laid, until those dreams come into a fruition, if, if you want to discover that weapon, then you have to get to a place where you genuinely want to give up. Some of you are there right now, and you may have some self-righteous, lying Christian come up and tell you, oh, you should buck up, and you should, uh, oh, shut up. I'm going through some crap here. I'm going through some pain here. And I want to give up. And there's nothing wrong in saying to God, I want to give up. Because you're in good company when it comes to God's children. Come on, somebody say amen. There's, there's, no, there's no man. There's no, I love that psalm that, that, uh, that um, uh, Faye quoted this morning. He knows everything. You'll never, oh man, listen to me. I, I love it. I wrote this down. This is what I quoted away. And I kissed the wave. Spurgeon actually said this. I kissed the wave that throws me against the rocks of despair and discouragement. For it's there that I find God's secret weapon to sustain me. Paul the apostle begged God for an easier life. Yeah, the apostle Paul. The one that wrote one-third of the New Testament, mostly in chains from a prison cell. Begged God. Begged Him. God, give me an easier life, man. I'm carrying this gospel for you. You know, if God had granted Paul's request for an easier life, Paul would never have discovered God's secret weapon for battle-weary dreamers. Is this helping anybody here? Watch this. He would never, Paul would never have example for us that against all the odds, we too can give birth to our dreams in spite of every attempt by Satan to try to steal them. I love this. Paul's request for an easier life is recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 6, it says, this is, he's speaking to the Corinthian church. He says, if I wanted to boast, I'd be no fool in doing so. Because I'd be telling the truth, but I won't do it. Because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear my message. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, watch this. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan. Not a messenger from God, okay? A messenger from Satan to torment me, uh, to keep me from becoming proud. Now watch this. So did, what, so did Paul say, well, praise the Lord as a messenger of Satan, but praise the Lord, I don't care. No. This is what he said to God. He says, three times I beg God, enough's enough. When I read that, I thought, the great apostle Paul begged 
begging God to stop the junk. Begging God to stop the persecution. Begging God to stop those bears taking swipes at him. Man, when I, when I read that, I thought, this is, this is amazing. Those words were spoken to a man, spoken by a man who'd had enough. One of the most brilliant minds that ever lived. One of the most amazing testimonies from terrorist to evangelist. And here he is, anointed revelations. And here he is saying to God, I've had enough of this. I love the fact that when you're a Christian, you can actually be honest with God and not put on some sort of image. Come on, somebody say amen here. And this is encouraging people because you, you, you've been beating yourself up because you feel substandard as a Christian. And it's all <coughs> the other successful Christians having it all together and it's all going great. Yeah, pray the Lord. We get, no, and you are beating yourself up because every night you cry yourself to sleep. So God, why can't I have an easier life? I love you. I've got eggs to birth. Paul, three times, not once, three. Begged. When I looked up that word beg, the intensity of the request of Paul is paralleled with Jesus' cry to his father in Gethsemane. Jesus got to a place when God showed him, when he saw exactly what he was about to go through. You know when it says, Father, is there another way? This is Jesus. The Bible says he prayed and the blood capillaries in his forehead burst and mixed with the sweat glands. It's a medical condition called hepatidrosis. I told you I was an expert on more subjects. And, 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 he, and he sweat blood. This is the intensity of the prayer that God prayed to God to ask him to give him an easier life. He begged him, not once. Can you imagine Paul coming to, to God? God, I'm, every time I go into a city, I'm either beaten up, stoned, imprisoned, spat upon, rejected. God, please stop it. God answered him. And we'll see the answer in just a moment. You know where I'm going, but support it. Is that it? Is there anybody else up there? Wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough. So he asked him again. I've had enough. Such was the intensity of Paul. He said, I've had enough of this. And then the third time he asked, you see, when Paul begged God for the removal of his persecution, this was a picture of a man that couldn't take it anymore and he wanted out. Now then, let me ask you this question. Have I just described your situation right now? Are you sitting here and stuff? I mean, bam, bam. Bam, it's just wave after wave. It's just relentless, wave after wave. Listen, 
You've come to the end of yourself. You feel you can't take it anymore. You want out. And like Paul the Apostle, you've begged God to bring it to an end. But you feel God's answer seems like he doesn't care. What is it you're begging God to deliver you from? And things just seem to be getting worse. Watch this. Paul's answer to Paul was not the reply of an indifferent God, but a God that wanted Paul to experience something so powerful, so powerful that it would blow his mind. And you can only experience this powerful secret weapon of God when you get to a place when you want to give up and you're begging God to stop it. That's when this weapon kicks in and totally revolutionizes your life. Verse 9. Here's God's answer. Each time, each time I beg God, this is the answer He gave me. My grace. Is enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And when Paul finally received this revelation, you know, it would settle his heart and astound his persecutors and embarrass the devil. God says, Paul, the third time he got it, Paul, listen. I want you to experience something that will revolutionize your life and astound a watching world. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace will see you through anything the devil throws at you. My grace is more powerful than any satanic attack. My grace, Paul, is more powerful than any debilitating emotion any failure or sin or human deficiency, my grace is made perfect in weakness. And I want to say to you, our discomfort is God's opportunity to display His grace. Our weakness is God's opportunity to display His strength. And when Paul finally got this revelation, listen to this. It revolutionized his thinking concerning his trials, concerning the same persecution. Now he could look at them through different eyes. Now he could look at them through grace revolutionized eyes. And he, and he would say, man, you know what? Why didn't I get it the first time? From now on, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast about all the insults and the hardships and the troubles and the persecutions. Because I get it. Because when I'm weak, that's when God's secret weapon kicks in. When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. That's when the power of Christ can work through me and the glory of Christ rest upon me. Paul, when he had this revelation, he says, I'm not, I'm going to stop belly aching and I'm going to start boasting. I'm going to stop my pity party and I'm going to start a praise party. Come on, somebody. Give praise to Jesus in this house right here. Now you got to give him praise in this house right here. He says, I'm going to stop focusing on the weakness that hinders me and I'm going to focus on the grace that enables me. I'm going to stop focusing on 
on Satan coming against me and focused on greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. See, in the kingdom of God, it's upside down. The world applauds achievement. The world applauds strength. The world applauds ability. But God gives grace to the humble. God's grace is attracted to the weak. That's why Christianity and Darwinism are diametrically opposed. Because in the kingdom, in, in, in the world, uh, uh, according to Darwinism, it's, it, it's all about the survival of the fittest. Man, now in the kingdom of God, it's not about the survival of the fittest or the strongest. It's about trusting his grace by the weakest and the lowest. I'm going to wind this up. Have you enjoyed the word this morning? I just got to finish this because then Paul, when he got it, look at this. Look at this. This is what he says. So, so I'm going to boast about this stuff, man. Because, because look at this. He says, uh, 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 he says uh, uh, I, I, I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not stoned, but stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been on the move all the time. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from my fellow Jews, from the Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city, in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides all this, I've got the churches to look after. Why did Paul, why did Paul list all those satanic attacks and persecutions, why did he itemize them? Do you know why he itemized them? Because when he had a revelation of the grace of God, he says, hey, do you know why I've listed all those things? Not for you to feel sorry for me. No, I've listed all these things to, to declare to you no man could survive all that without supernatural help. I give glory to the grace of God that I'm still here. Come on, somebody give praise to Jesus. Man, uh, let me just finish with this, right? I mean, it's the whole list here. I got a, I, I got a, when I saw this message God gave me, I, I checked out all the stuff, right? He says, I was beaten with rods. Well, just watch this, okay? Beaten with rods. We get upset when someone calls us names. I know it's like being beaten with rods. Words hurt. I'm not minimizing that. But, 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 oh, the devil's attacking me. I couldn't get a parking place. No, come on. You know. Oh. Got all ready to go to church. Receive the word. And the dog just did all over the front room. I'm going to take me hours to clean that carpet now. That's our level of persecution. No, Paul says, no, well, Read the list. He says, once I was beaten with rods. Do you know what they used to do? They used to tie your feet, hang you upside down, and beat your feet with metal rods till you couldn't walk. Only once would cripple you for life. This happened to Paul a few times. And I'm thinking to myself, most of Paul's ministry was conducted on foot. In one missionary journey, 
He'd walk from Newport to Glasgow, Glasgow to Newport, Newport to Glasgow, walking. One missionary trip. Satan hated Paul's feet. Come on, somebody say amen right here. You know where Satan fears you the most. Check out where he's attacking you the most. Did you hear what I just said right here? What a compliment. And then it understands. I mean, Isaiah talks, how beautiful are the feet. Are those that bring good news. But you know what? They smashed his feet apart. They said, well, Satan says, okay, walk now then. Well, no. He, he walked 1,500 miles in just one trip. Come on, folks. Paul would say, beat my feet as much as you can. God's grace is sufficient to heal my feet. Keep them nice and beautiful and wonderful. We'll clip my nails and I'll keep on walking. Come on, give praise to Jesus right here. Now you need to get excited. He said, he said once, I'll finish with this. He said, once I was stoned and it happened in Lustra. Let me just tell you what they did, right? When they stoned you, this happened to Paul. When they stoned you, they, they'd throw rocks at you close range. And to make sure you were dead, they'd get a massive rock and drop it on your head and crush your skull. That's how they stoned people in those days. That's what happened to Paul in Acts 14. Check it out. Right? So Paul was dead. Then they'd carry your corpse out of the city for the dogs to eat. So Paul's corpse was thrown outside the city. His skull was crushed. And a group of believers got around him. Now, you can't get weaker than dead. I believe that's when Paul went to heaven. I believe as they were stoning his body, Paul said, I'll oh, let him go on. They come up here. Let me show you around. See this over here? This is marvelous, marvelous. So they were killing his body. He's already out of it. Come on, somebody say amen. Okay, Paul, you better go back down now. I've got some more work for you to do. Look at my body. Don't worry about that. My grace is sufficient for you. Some of you struggling with your health and stuff. His grace is sufficient for you. Thanks for praying for my brother. They said he had cancer in his kidney. Had a growth on his kidney. Already had an operation for lung cancer and skin cancer. They said, this is it. We may have to take a kidney out. I was getting ready to part with one of my kidneys. And believe me, I'm not a hero. You know what I'm saying? How many of you know my intensity of prayer increased when I realized I was involved in this? <laughs> well... Had the operation, and I prayed with my brother before he went into the hospital. I told him, my church is praying for you. Um, well, the surgeon, they took a small piece out of the thing. Surgeon came back and said, 90%, it's not cancerous, it's benign. It looks like Roland, you're all right. Come on, someone give prayer. Thank you. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So they stoned him, they stoned him, they stoned him. His body, some believers got around him. Watch this, the Bible says he rose up. Paul was resurrected from the dead by the grace of God. Watch this. You know what he did? You're talking about a crushed head here. Well, obviously God must have sorted his head out. Because he brushed the dust off. Watch this. Went back into the same city. Found the local pizza. Went in there. Had a pizza. Went to bed. Had a good night's sleep. And the following day from being dead, 
he walked 30 miles to the next city to preach the gospel. Don't tell me the grace of God is not sufficient enough to see you through. Come on, you better get flipping excited about Give Jesus a big clap in this house right here. All right, I'm done. Dave, have I got time just to sing a song? You all right? Uh, have you received the word of God this morning, everyone? Come on, give Jesus some praise in this place. Give him some praise in this place. I'm, I'm going to sing a song. I've sung it a few times here, but some of you may be new. And, and uh, look, look, just have a bit of faith. Just, just, have some, just, you know, when I was going through a tough time, Jesus sang this song to me. This message is birthed out of that experience. His grace is enough for you. Hang in there. And you'll see, you'll see God do amazing things. Here we go. Let's have a go. Bit more up here, mate. That's good. When the road gets dark.
give Jesus one more. Every head bowed, every eye shut right now, Holy Ghost. There are people in this place. They don't know you. They've not connected to you, really connected. They know about you. They know religious stuff, but they don't know you. They've never said yes to you. Holy Ghost, I ask you right now, please, please, in Jesus' name, let the scales fall off their eyes and let them see Jesus is the end of this search. With every head bowed, every eye shut, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And I'm going to pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I need you in my life. I receive forgiveness for all my sins. And I open up my heart to receive you. 